This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today, we answer your questions. Remember, if you have a question, email us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Before we begin, a couple of announcements. If you have any questions, if you want to sign up for our courses, etc., just go to aviationcareerspodcast.com. And the courses, we are come out with a lot of coupons, uh, probably as of this publishing of this podcast. Uh, the We had one that's available. It might still be available, so I'll mention it. MLK for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. That one was available. It's a 10% discount on all of our products. The products include the Scholarships Guide career coaching, and all the other technical courses. Uh, The online, uh, we talked about it, the interview course, that's actually only available to the folks I do coaching with because we're not actually complete with it, but the portion that is complete, I like to share with those folks that I've been coaching and preparing for the interviews. So make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and also sign up for our emails at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Well, today joining me is uh, our co-host, Justin Ash, who is also here in sunny, warm, well, I can't really say warm today, Florida, but relatively warm Florida. Welcome, Justin. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's um, one of the chillier days we've had here, so I've actually got a sweater on, which is unusual for me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to Newark tomorrow, so I'm going to definitely be bringing my big wool coat and stuff like that. A lot of people ask, uh, you know, what do you do when you're going from one extreme to the next, and that's something we do. I just, uh, I bring along one of these really puffy jackets that I can squish down and keep in my bag, uh, you know, with the down in it, and then I pull that out. When I'm doing my walk around, you know, and uh, I'll usually use that one. Uh, when we're doing walk arounds, we're in public view. We're not supposed to have be out of uniform, but like when you're outside, you can wear like hat and gloves and stuff like that. Obviously, because we're out in the cold. Uh, so I just use it just for that for the walk around. I also use it on overnights. Uh, many airlines have either leather jackets or these uh, really nice overcoats, and the overcoats can have. Uh, and I've worked for various airlines; they have linings in them to keep you warm. Uh, so the biggest thing is just kind of layer up and. And, uh, you know, you're going, what's really wild is like you take off out of New York and it's like 20 degrees and then you land in the Caribbean and it's like 85 degrees and, uh, you open up the door and all of a sudden all that mist starts happening from the packs. It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you got all your coats you got to carry to the hotel in the warm wow. weather. <laughs> That's the funny thing. You're in the Caribbean yep. and you've got a sweater and an overcoat and you're carrying that to the hotel. <laughs> yeah, everybody's looking wondering where you just came from. Exactly. Exactly. Well, the other I think the funniest thing is when you go to New York from the Caribbean and you're looking at people getting off the airplane and you you see them in flip-flops, a tank top and shorts and you're like, "Man, you are going to freeze when you walk out that door." <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, I, I actually was one of those guys a few weeks ago. I probably a couple months ago, I forgot, and I got on the airplane. We're riding up. I don't remember. We're going somewhere in the Northeast, but I didn't think anything of it because it was like November, and down here it's still warm. And about halfway, the captain looks at me. and goes, "I didn't see a coat. Did you bring a coat?" I'm like, well, "It's not that cold." He's like, "It's like 42 degrees where we're going." I'm like, oh, <laughs> totally forgot about that. I just came from 80, so wasn't thinking about that, but thank you. <laughs> no, no. Hey, I tell you, this is a kind of a good topic as far as packing is concerned, because I've been doing this for a while, and I even messed up. 
on my last trip. I always t- tell people to pack for all sorts of weather. Well, I said to myself on my last trip, you know, I there, you know, what could go wrong? I'm not going to worry about bringing shorts to go out and walk around in. And uh, lo and behold, my flight return flight canceled. I wound up in a uh, in Florida as opposed to being in upstate New York, and I had all warm clothes. I didn't have anything like shorts on, so I walked around outside, and lo and behold, that was a really hot day. So I was sweating like crazy. I'll take that over being too cold, though. That's usually the what happens is people don't bring enough for that cold weather. So my my theory is always bring everything you can uh, in your bag if you have a cold and a warm climate. Uh, but uh, I got caught uh, literally, you know, without any kind of shorts and stuff like that to walk around the, in the warm weather. Um, but uh, anyway, let's move on to some of the questions. Again, feedback at Aviation Curves Podcast. Ask us or any of the co-hosts a question. Uh, let's start with the first one. It says, thank you so much for all the free content. I'm a 41-year-old truck driver with a private pilot license. Pretty sure I'm going to change careers to a professional pilot. I've seen job posting for fixed-wing air ambulance jobs that appeal to me. It seems like they pay from around fifty to 80000 a year with a 7-on and a 7-off or a 14-on, 14-off schedule. Estimated it'll take about four years at a busy flight school to build the resume needed for these jobs minus the jet or turbine time. Uh, about 50 hours of that. Most of these postings don't mention a college degree. Would regional airline pilot be a better way to build experience for these jobs? Something unrelated that I'm curious about is if an airline would terminate employment uh, of a pilot. Okay, and this is another question. So let tell you what, let's answer that one first as far as building time. Let's just let's go there first before we get into this other topic. I, As far as building hours, there's nothing like the regionals. Uh, because, and I know sometimes you're on reserve, you don't, you don't fly a lot. But flying a little at a regional is usually 30 to 40 hours a month. And some of these other places like Air Ambulance, uh, they it all depends on where you are and what your schedule is. You can fly a lot or fly a little. Uh, so make sure that you look at that and say, hey, and I've said this a bunch of times, ask the people that are working there how much they're actually flying. But the regional flying, the nice thing about the regional flying, the reason I push people towards that direction, if you need to build a lot of hours for a certain job, it's a great way to do it. I know guys making uh, doing 80, excuse me, 800 to 1,000 hours in a year. Justin, you actually, you worked for a regional and, um, how many hours were you getting when you were at the regionals? Yeah, I was, when I was there, it was a little bit different, uh, times have changed. Um, but back when I was at my first regional where I was flying the CRJ, I mean, if you were, you could easily do 80 hours a month as a line holder, which nowadays you're going to move pretty quick. You may sit some reserve, but at least from the contacts I have out there of people I know that are still at the regionals, you're pretty much coming off a reserve pretty quick. So yeah, 80 hours a month is pretty doable. And then uh, the last regional I was at, um, that's about what I was doing. I mean, I did, uh, I think about 780 hours in my first year. And that wasn't picking up extra stuff that was just flying basically what I was assigned. So, and I, you know, I agree with you, Carl. I think the, the regionals are a great place. And the nice thing about the regionals right now is with the signing bonuses, that first one or two years, depending on the regional that you're going to, uh, can actually be a pretty decent income when you add in those signing bonuses. A lot of it have a signing bonus, you know, the payout over the first couple of years or whatever. So if you're looking to just maybe get 1,500, 2,000 hours, kind of move on to something else, you can do it and make decent money with the signing bonuses. 
And one of the beauties of the signing bonus too is the fact that you no longer have to starve. I think that's a that's an important point. You know, when I I got started, we were making like fourteen, fifteen thousand a year. That was nowhere near enough money. It was below the poverty level. It allowed us to get some assistance in housing, but still, you don't you don't want to have to have to go that route. Also, interestingly, don't use me as an example. People always ask me about my experience in the regionals as far as flying time. I was a union rep, so I wasn't really flying that much. And I would have some years I would fly 250 to 300 hours. Uh, If you talk to anybody, that sounds like a, a decent amount if you're a corporate pilot. But as a regional pilot, that's nothing. I mean, most regional pilots are flying 600 to 800 hours in a year. And uh, like you said, many more hours than that. But uh, but because of the fact I was a rep, I actually took a lot of time off and tried to help out pilots. Because uh, remember, uh, I mentioned in the beginning of the show, but uh, you know, way back in episode one, I used to be the furlough coordinator for uh, Continental Express, then became United Express and uh, helped people get jobs. That took up a lot of time, just like I'm doing here. This is kind of what I do on my days off. But yeah, as far as building the hours, uh, it all depends. I will say, though, with the air ambulance, I had a couple of air ambulance pilots in my crash pad. And those folks, they flew a lot. The only thing is you're on call. You had that seven days on, seven days off. A lot of many times it happens in the middle of the night. People get sick at any time. But uh, a lot of times injuries are happening after work, after school. You're running down to the Caribbean. Somebody got sick on a on a cruise ship. You're going down to Panama. Panama's a big area where they'll pick up people off cruise ships and, and just all over in, in San Juan, et cetera. Any of those big cruise ship ports, you're going to be picking up people, bringing them back, uh, you know, to bring back to the, the mainland and get some help uh, as far as air ambulance concern. Also, some of those air ambulances do more than just air ambulance, though. Do let's call it, you know, recovery and stuff like that. So, uh, for instance, say uh, they have contracts with, say, airlines, and if their airline gets stuck in a certain country, they will actually go down and rescue the airline crew because that crew might be there for a long time waiting for that plane to get fixed. So uh, they do have some of those type of things. It's, it's part of their charter, that type of thing. But, uh, but yeah, actually, the, the gist of it is just make sure that you're getting the time. Anyway, continuing on, this is another unrelated but a curious question he had. Um, He's curious about if an airline would terminate employment of a pilot who was performing open mic stand-up comedy that would be perceived as racist, misogynist, or homophobic. It's just a hobby of mine and have no delusions of doing it professionally. I'd really appreciate if you could have a fixed-wing air ambulance pilot come on your show. Thanks again, and keep up the good work. Uh, I, I don't like my job. Your show helps the time go faster. Well, thanks so much. As far as going back to having an air ambulance person on, we've uh, we've had a couple people who've worked in the air ambulance business. Uh, I tell you what, I'll try to get somebody who's who's currently in the air ambulance business and have them on. And also, by the way, if you do know somebody that is an air ambulance pilot, at the bottom of each podcast now, we have a link to how to be a guest on Aviation Careers podcast and have them link to it and schedule a time to be on the show. We'd love to talk to them and talk about you know what it's like to be an air you know an air ambulance pilot. As far as the standard stand-up comedian and the, the racist, misogynist, and homophobic. Yes, all those all those items you just mentioned are things that will get you fired at any airline uh, because of the fact that, you know, we, we are open to all different types of people and uh, especially remember that an airline is out there in the public view and many times you, even though you do things on your personal time, etc., uh, the airline does look at also your you know your social media profiles and that type of thing, and you do represent that airline. So, 
what I know it's kind of tough, but it's it's a different business, especially when you're in uniform. If you in any way represent yourself that you work for a specific airline, uh, you actually they could you know associate that with that airline. So yeah, you kind of have to be careful what you do. Obviously, in uniform. Uh, there's many things you can and cannot do because you are representative of that airline, but even out of uniform. Because let, let's just give you an example. Um, there was an incident that happened, and I'm not going to mention any names, but the person in this incident was arrested. And, and when they arrested this individual, this individual had not worked for a specific airline for 10 years. One of the first things they mentioned in the first paragraph is uh, Joe Schmo, I'm going to use that word, is a XYZ pilot for XYZ Airlines and former pilot for XYZ Airlines. And that person gets associated with that airline for a long, long time. Remember, you look at uh, in the news, I remember that one flight attendant, I think, that jumped out of an airplane, uh, pulled a shoot or whatever. That person's always associated with whatever airline they had worked for. Uh, and so you hear these things over and over again. Uh, so that's actually one of the reasons they are reticent to, to really look at hiring somebody that, that goes down that path. But yeah, I mean, if, if you're not looking at it as a uh, career, and I know a lot of people make careers doing that, uh, and uh, yeah, I would say probably a good idea to, to kind of maybe squash that if, uh, if you're thinking about going to, to the airlines. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, so that's, uh, that's my opinion on it. I think, uh, Justin, you probably would agree with much of what I said. Yeah, I agree with uh, most of what you said. I mean, it's one of those situations where you're just asking to invite question. And if you are, if it's something you just feel like you have to do, be very diligent in making sure that it remains separate from anything that's associated with the airline. And you made a good point about the social media. Make sure you're not posting it on social media Make sure that on your social media, you are not affiliated. It doesn't show an affiliation to the airline, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I would recommend, I agree with Carl, I'd recommend not doing it. However, if you did have to or it was something you did not want to give up, um, make sure you take the appropriate steps to separate it from your airline career and make sure there is no no real easy way to make a correlation between the two with you in case someone was upset or something like that uh, because they will look at it. And if you're in uniform, use an example, I don't even go grocery shopping in my pilot uniform <laughs> uh, just because I don't want something silly to happen. You know, um, and it could be anything silly, you know, somebody, you know, bangs my, you know, bangs into my car in the parking lot or something. Right. And then people are videoing it and I'm standing there in my uniform. Just is something as simple as that. I just don't want it to be. Um, I don't want people pointing fingers. So, uh, I, I agree with you, Carl. I'm very careful, especially when I'm in my uniform about what I'm doing. I think that that's a great example, Justin. You know, one of the things that um, I try to do is always be, when you're in uniform, be reticent of what you're doing. I'll tell you something that I did that I'll never do again is I actually had a flight attendant say, hey, can you hold this for a second? And she was in the galley, and I didn't look at what I was holding. So I, I picked it up and said, okay, sure. And I, you know, I thought it was a bottle of something. And I looked down, it was it was vodka. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm in uniform. I'm holding a bottle of vodka. Someone could take a picture of that. I was like, wait a minute. I put that down. I said, he can't hand me a, a bottle of vodka while I'm in uniform. I get it. You needed me to hold on to it. I mean, if the person was getting hurt and they were falling down, yeah, of course I would grab it. But boy, it's all the optics of it. You know, you don't want that getting spread on the internet. Another example, Justin, both you and I, 
Uh, we really don't talk about the airline we work for, and I suggest anybody that comes on the show and wants to be a guest, you don't do that unless you've had approval from your company to speak on their behalf. I have uh, had uh, approval from my company to speak on their behalf, but only for specific events and spe- specific times. But uh, good idea not to say anything about your airline unless you have approval from that airline or if you're, like, you're an official spokesperson, which is not too many of those, that's for sure. Um, anyway, so hopefully that answered that question. I appreciate all those questions and being frank. I like uh, the fact that you were able to ask the, the question about what you're doing on the side as far as uh, being a comedian. So anyway, let's move on. Uh, this one's a little bit longer, and it is a, uh, it's a story. And by the way, I love to hear your story. So write in feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. If you want to be a guest, like I said, you know, click on the link. But also another thing you can do is if you want to tell a story and you know you have the equipment or something, you know how to record like on your phone, you can send us like an MP4, MP3 file or whatever. If you know how to do that, you can send it to us and then we can put it, edit it into the show. Uh, we can use your information, your name, etc. If you don't want us to use your name, then don't mention it when you're making the comment. You can mention it in the beginning. We'll cut it off and just say, hey, don't use my name, but I want to relate this story. So. Anyway, this is somebody who wrote in a story. It's very inspirational, so I want to read it to you. Here it goes. Carl and gang, I'm passing along a big thank you to all of you getting back in the air, uh, for me getting back in the air. I will try to keep my story short as best I can. I received my private pilot certificate in instrument rating in 1992 when I was 24, right after getting married. Flew until 1994 and started to think about starting a family. Wife said no more flying without life insurance, so I gave up flying and took up golf. I still always had the flying bug. However, in recent years, it got much stronger. I noticed myself talking about flying, eating my lunch at the viewing area at my airport, looking up at the sky every time a plane passed overhead, and just kept thinking about what if. Fact is, back in the day, I could not have become a career pilot. No college degree. Eyesight was bad. I had LASIK done to my eyes, which at the time disqualified you for the airlines since they didn't know the long-term ramifications. I was in my 20s starting. That's when they were hiring guys at the regionals, not starting flight training. I gave up my dream. Fast forward to 2017. I'm now 49. We were taking my daughter to college in Nebraska. On the way there, I noticed Southwest took off the Golf Channel from their flight broadcast feed. Well, that's pretty bad. Take off the Golf Channel. I decided to look for a podcast to listen to and came across yours and downloaded a few of them, including one that was called something like, I'm too old to become an airline pilot. I listened to it and the others on the way home. Started thinking, what if? I had to figure out the finances and if I could afford to get back to flying. Could I really give up my current career for a career that would pay much less, but I would love doing it? At the end of the podcast, and forgive me if I don't get this exactly correct, you said something along the lines of, do something today to work towards your goal. I knew at my age, every day wasted was getting me closer to the point of it will never happen. I couldn't afford the time to sit there with paralysis by analysis because by the time I came to the realization that it was what I wanted to do, it may be too late at that point. Instead, I came up with a game plan to do the research to find out what needs to be done now. When I landed back in Los Angeles, I wanted to start getting info right away. I found an online forum and asked, 
Where do I need to go and what do I need to do? Someone re- recommended the AOPA Rusty Pilot Seminar that just happened to be coming to my local airport. Big plug, by the way, Rusty Pilot Seminar. Amazing, great stuff. Uh, AOPA.org. Go check it out. Uh, anyway, he continues. I signed up for that but started calling flight schools to meet with them and see what was needed. I made the goal of getting my CFI and if nothing else, I could teach as a part-time side job. I set the goal to get my commercial single-engine land by my 50th birthday, and that's January 2018, and CFI by the summer of 2018. I started flying again on 9-9-17 with 180 hours. People kept asking me if I'm going to try to go to the airlines, corporate, just teach, or what? I kept saying, I don't know. My goal is to get my CFI done. Once I have that, I'll figure it all out. Uh, was my ultimate focus on the goal that it wasn't thinking past it. And I was just focused on that goal is what he's saying. This morning when I woke up, I realized the answer doesn't work anymore. As of December 1st, 2018, I am a CFI. A I actually, he says. As it happens with flight training, I ran into a few delays, so my goals were not completely accomplished in the time frame I wanted, but they are complete. I can say I owe it to you for your motivating podcast, but truth was that one action line at the end of your podcast is really what made me turn a dream into action. Thank you. If you think this is a story that could help motivate others or would be a good story for one of your upcoming podcasts, please let me know. I'm happy to talk further. Yes, we'd love to have you on. Like I said, click on the link at the bottom. Uh, He continues, again, all the best. Realize the work you put in this is yielding results for others. And boy, I really appreciate that, both Justin and I and every other person on this podcast. Really appreciate you bringing that story forth because we want to motivate others to actually realize their dreams. And I love the fact that you said you set a goal of being a flight instructor and then moving on, you didn't really know what you were going to do. And honestly, I kind of was the same way. I knew I wanted to fly, didn't know exactly uh, where I was going. Many people had no realization that I'd head to the airlines because they thought that, that I definitely wouldn't go that route, but I did. So I am so happy that you did that. I'm so happy that you related that story. Justin, I tell you, uh, this really inspired me to, to keep moving forward, and it's true. If you just keep moving one step at a day at a time towards your goal, you, you'll make it there, that's for sure. Yeah. Slow and steady wins the race. That's what I've always uh, truly <laughs> believed. You know, it's um, And that is an amazing story. Thank you very much for sharing it. Uh, I, I actually just enjoyed being able to listen to it and hear it. It's... it's um, amazing with that stuff and flying's been a part of my life my whole life and I love to hear people getting back into it sometimes when I used to teach the some of the funnest um, most motivating inspirational just good fun people to be around and fly with were people that were coming back to aviation because they loved it so much and they truly just enjoyed it and just wanted to go out and have a good time build hours and the fact that you did the CFI double I thing I I'm a big proponent, uh, advocate of that, of the CFI route. I think it's a fantastic way to go. I think you learn so much. You meet so many people. So I'm really happy to hear that you did the CFI and the double I. And um, welcome back. One thing I think is terrific is that there's a community out there of people that want to help you. AOPA.org and the Rusty Pilots program is outstanding. It's people of all levels that they go after. Airline pilots, uh, they specifically have seminars for them because, you know, there's certain unique things about us. You know, we, we flare at 50 feet and not close to 
the ground. But one of the things that I, I think is really important is that you reach out to people, which you did. And I think that is, is a big lesson learned is not only do you take one step, but you also stepped out and started researching. And I, I really commend you for that. And that was terrific. But yeah, I'd love to have you on and talk a little bit more about your story and where you're going. As a matter of fact, we're all in all of our careers. You know, I'm 51. I'm thinking of doing some certain things that are different. I already have. I've got the podcast um, and I've been able to do career coaching. That is incredible. It's added so much to my life to be able to help other people. This podcast itself is helping people. I coach a flight team. Uh, also, you know, teach at a college and and lecture there. And, and you know, even, even Justin, you talking about doing other things in, in aviation to, to keep moving forward. We never really do stay idle, do we, Justin? No, I don't tend to let the grass grow under my feet, but that's, you know, that's a good thing. And um, it, it's things like this that, that really I enjoy is meeting people that have stories like this. And yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm looking at right now. I We've talked about it a little bit. I'm, I'm transitioning back to more of the GA and, and uh, really just, I, you know, find that every time I even just put my finger on it a little bit, that how much I enjoy it. So I think I'm going to transition back to that and maybe try to uh, at least partially follow in your footsteps. You've done so many great things, so <laughs> and uh, see what I can do. So I miss it. I miss it a lot. And this is coming from somebody who's a flight instructor. You're a flight instructor at an airline. Um, but there is a difference between uh, the airline flying and instructing and actually teaching uh, new students. And uh, it's, a, it's a bigger difference in that you're, you're, you have students that are excited every day about getting up in the air because it's kind of like their hobby. Whereas at work, sometimes it's like, oh, I got to do this again. <laughs> yeah, it's well, and, and that's I mean, recurrent is obviously different. You know, most guys come into recurrent with a similar mindset of just let me get done and get out. And um, even the new hires, you know, it's it's fun. It's it's um, it's very fun. They're very enthusiastic, but it's just a different type of training. You know, when you can go out and get in a one seventy two and do a few things. You know, we're we don't get to we get to fly in the sim, but that's about it. You know, but when you can go get in a one seventy two and you know find a little dirt strip or a little grass strip to go somebody wants to go and you go land in the grass strip and go get lunch i mean it's just a totally different teaching environment um both have fantastic rewards and are very fulfilling in different ways but they're i would say 180 degrees different yeah that's for sure that's for sure but uh, in all sorts of and you know i hear this every day from flight instructors that are doing the same thing over and over and over again they kind of they're getting a little burnout and i get it it's like in anything you need to vary things and, and change things up a little bit get a different type rating whatever it is you want to do and uh, go out there and have some fun you know maybe now that you're a captain in an airline or you're a first officer at an airline go out and maybe look at buying a plane becoming a partner joining a flying club that type of thing uh, but do something and move forward in your career and also your life, your flying life, and inspire others to do the same. Anyway, let's go on to the next question. I really appreciate this story. Thanks so much. Uh, next question says, Hi, Carl. I wanted to get your opinion on how serious a few checkride failures I've had on my own record. Um, I know how serious checkride failures are, and I received a few failures in a quick succession at an accelerated flight school. I've taken eight check rides and failed three out of eight of those. With the CFI single engine being a check ride that I've failed twice, do you have any insight into how 
I may be able to overcome this. I've always been a very ambitious and driven person, and this struggle has been hard to deal with. I still want to become an airline pilot with the goal of working at a legacy. However, I want to know if companies will see my training history and not give me a chance. Thank you very much for your time. As far as your training history, um, we have people have failed every single check ride and eventually have made it to the airlines. Uh, the, as far as three failures, I've seen that uh, out there. I've I talked to people with three failures. Gosh, almost every month. You know, I talked to a lot of different people, and uh, one of the most important things about the check ride failures is during the interview is explain why you had that failure, what happened, what you learned, and uh, what you did going forward. Uh, just a couple of uh, cautions is that it, the worst thing that you can do is blame the flight instructor uh, during the whole process. Even if they were wrong, uh, you may want to word the things differently. Maybe they did, you know, sometimes flight instructors do, they mess up and they forget to teach you something. Uh, but for the most part, that's not the problem. It's usually our own performance. Uh, but if it, if it was a bad instructor or whatever, just kind of say, you know, this is what happened. I went back and I uh, did some training with another instructor and I moved forward, but don't specifically say it's my instructor's fault. Cause boy, do, do I hear that so many times? And uh, it's, it's really, you have to take, cause you're a pilot, you have to take control of yourself and your training. Uh, will by the way, if will they look at your training? Of course. I mean, with all the new rules, um, you're going to get a background check, and you're going to get a form that you're going to have to fill out, and it's going to actually look back at all of your different training records. Make sure you, when you do fill out that form, that you actually get a copy of that. There's a little check mark that says, "Do you want a copy of your training records?" Say yes, because occasionally. In those training records, there's something that's incorrect, and you can get that corrected with the FA or with the training organization that you are with. But uh, but go out and get your records. You know, say hey, can I get these records, etc. So uh, it's it's re it's called PRIA, uh, Private Records Improvement Act, and it's also or Information Act. Excuse me. Uh, it actually is a form, a PRIA form. It's called that you fill out, and you're going to fill it out for every past employer, and they will see your training records. Uh, so what you need to do is start planning now for that. Um, I know Justin. I, I'm not sure you're, if you're involved uh, in uh, doing interviews and stuff like that, but I'm sure you've, you've met people, especially where you are, that have had uh, previous training, training failures. Oh, yeah. I mean, training failures are out there, and, and I've done interview process um, at the 135 level and also the 121 level. And your, your advice that you gave is the best advice you can possibly give um, in that you have to take ownership of it. If you don't, I can promise you that a lot of interviewers will check out. Uh, that was one thing for me. If somebody had a check ride failure, as soon as they started going down the road of blaming the instructor and the flight school and everything else, uh, you know, to be very blunt, the interview is pretty much over at that point. Um, but if they took ownership, we didn't really look at the number. You know, if it was two, if it was three, it was four, you know, two versus three. You know, it's more about how you explain it. And uh, I'll do give a quick example on myself. Uh, complete transparency. I, I failed my private pilot check ride, and I failed my check ride because we did not do unusual attitudes. Um, however, my flight instructor, we never actually trained it. It was something that we accidentally skipped over in the syllabus. Show up for the ride that day. We go up. We do them. Tells me to put my head down. I pick my head up. And I'm like a deer in the headlights. Kind of recover somewhat. We do another one. Examiner simply asks. He goes, you look like you've never done these before just by the look on your face. 
And I said, yeah, actually, honestly, sir, I you know haven't done them, whatever. So he said, well, I can't you know write you a certificate for that. We'll go back. You'll do them. You'll come back the next day. And I did that. Long story short, when I interview with the airlines, I get asked. Um, I know a lot of airlines now will actually ask you to put in a failure disclosure. And they'll actually ask you to type out a few sentences or a paragraph on each failure, why it was there, or you know what happened, why it happened. And when I do that, uh, just using my private, the PPL failure as an example, um, the first thing I state, even though, you know, it'd be very easy to say, well, my instructor, you know, left me, hung me out to dry. I didn't know I was supposed to do it. I immediately take accountability. And the first thing I say is I made the mistake. I should have been at the time. We don't use this anymore. I'm dating myself, but PTS standards, I should have been in the PTS standards, and looking at that and making sure that all of that stuff was covered and that we hadn't missed anything. And I always make sure I take ownership for it because it was my responsibility to make sure that I was being trained on everything I needed uh, to be trained on. So um, taking ownership is the biggest thing. I wouldn't worry about the three of eight. I've seen that numerous times, just like Carl has. And I think as long as you own them, you're 100% transparent, 100% honest. Uh, I don't see that. The CFI single engine, I can tell you, um, I have numerous friends who do interviewing at various airlines, and some airlines aren't even considering the CFI initial as a failure anymore um, because so many people have failed their initial CFI. They're not even looking at that one. So um, you can have a little bit of confidence there knowing that you're standing with a very large percentage of people with that one. And so just own it and, uh, you, you won't have any problems. Um, uh, you know, I shouldn't say you won't have any problems, but I think you'll be all right moving forward. So I, I think you'll still, your goals are still well within reach. That's some great advice. I like the fact that he talked about owning it. And uh, one more thing to add to that. I was thinking about this while you were talking. One thing you can do to help yourself when you're preparing for the check ride is, like Justin said, own it. You should look at the Airman Certification Standards uh, and go out there and look at the check ride checklist and make sure that you have all the items checked off and you've done all the maneuvers and you're competent, you're proficient, and you understand them. That's your job, not just the instructor's job, because remember, they have many different students. So go through that yourself and take take ownership of it, because that's that's a great example of where, you know, hey, I didn't look at the PTS, and now I, I realize maybe that's something I should have done in the past. Good idea. That's, that's great, Justin. That was awesome. Appreciate that. Um, anyway, you have time for another couple of questions, don't you, Justin? I think, I think we're running a little bit out of time. I'd like to answer a couple more. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. We got two more I want to answer. These are fairly short ones. But uh, by the way, thanks for that email. And don't let a failure stop you from moving forward in your career. You can get over it as long as you have a good explanation. Anyway, on to the next one says, uh, my son is a high school junior and is committed to attending Embry-Riddle. After speaking to advisors, he'd like to get his private pilot's license. We're trying to submit applications to hopefully help with scholarships to help him attain his private pilot prior to entering Embry-Riddle. I've spent hours searching for youth scholarships. Does your booklet, uh, Scholarships Guide he's mentioning, have current 2018-19 scholarship opportunities? If we don't get a scholarship, then would we need to find an 
an affordable flight instructor. Uh, my son has logged some hours uh, already. Thank you. Uh, yeah. As far as the scholarships are concerned, they open and close all the time. So uh, it, when we say the 2018 or 2019 scholarships guides and all, those those open, close, if it's a specific school, they might say, okay, this is open until a certain date. Those links show those dates, and they're also uh, throughout the year. Remember this, though, what's really important as far as scholarships. I know traditionally they end at a certain time. I'm not even going to mention that time uh, because there's so many scholarships now that are coming out that are not not going towards that tradition anymore. I'll give you an example. Uh, AOPA sets a date, and they say we're going to have this scholarship available to this time. Another organization sets a date, and they say it's going to be available to XYZ time or, or September of 2019. The, the, the thing is, though, you have to keep looking on with our scholarships guide. If the link, uh, a lot of times some of these organizations take the link down. That's the reason we put the guide together. So at least you know that it's the scholarship, say, was till January 1st of 2019. Today's January 10th of 2019. And if that's no longer available, then we tell you that. And then you look for it maybe coming up shortly. Maybe you're applying, you're looking for scholarships, and today's the 10th, but you see that the scholarship window is opening on the 11th, and you're like, oh, I want to start applying for that. So yes, there's a lot of youth scholarships out there. There's ones that are specific uh, to Embry-Riddle. We're starting to put a few of those in there, but those you can find from their website when you are actually a student at the school. The But they're out there. So that's really what the point is. You can find them. Uh, we have scholarships that are awarded in March, in April, over at Sun and Fun, at Air Venture, all these different like air shows and stuff. A lot of them like to actually announce their scholarship winners at those air shows. So uh, you really need to, to start looking towards that. And, and of course, the scholarships guide is only $10. You get updates every month throughout the year. So it's kept up to date. The scholarships guide online is the one I usually try to drive people towards. I know it's an Amazon, the iBook store, but the most current one is the one that's online right now. If you did purchase it, online by the way remember give us your electronic receipt a copy of that and we'll give you online access the easiest way is just go online and when we do the discounts we do them for the online directory so right now i think when this comes out it may be over but mlk uh, use that coupon code it'll give you 10 percent off but also look at our facebook page and twitter and our newsletter for any other discounts so Hope that helps. Um, let's see. Oh, and and then there's uh, different organizations that are doing grants and scholarships, and, and they're growing, and they constantly are coming out with ones. So sometimes, even when we publish a scholarship, like two days later, you'll see that they change the scholarship ad some. So it's a good idea just kind of kind of do this serendipitous journey through the, the scholarship sky. But we've put it into an order where actually you can find some a little bit easier. Anyway, let's uh, continue on. It says uh, one more question. We'll take. Hey guys, I'm 31 year old and would uh, once dream. I'm 31 years old who once dreamed of an aviation career. I started flying at 18. Excuse me, 16. Soloed and logged 65 hours in my family's 182, but never finished my private. Fast forward to years of poor decision making. I ended up with two DUIs. I'm now four years alcohol free. I begin training for my private this week, and I'm curious about my chances of getting hired as a commercial pilot with my record. Fortunately, I'm good at networking, so I'm hoping even if the airlines won't have me, someone in the corporate world would. I'll tell you what, it's uh, that happens, and we have people that have been hired uh, with those in their past, and uh, and of course, if if it's been, it all depends on how recent it was. If it happened just recently, it's a little bit more difficult, not impossible, but uh, being further away in your past helps a lot. 
There are certain countries that you go to where you're going to have to uh, do a few more things to be able to enter that country. Some airlines go to, say, Canada is a good example, where if you have a DUI, you can't commercially fly or commercially drive into uh, into Canada. But there is a way around that, and that's uh, through getting your temporary residency. There's a process for that. Uh, it's, It's doable. And if you actually... Uh, want to know that process or understand it more. I mean, I've seen it done a ton of different times. Uh, you really can do that. There are certain... Now, now remember this. There's even certain things in your past that might affect you in flying into other countries. Uh, certain people, certain pilots can't fly to certain countries because of the fact that, say, they uh, they aren't allowed in that country anymore and they can't obtain a visa or whatever for whatever reason. Those are the things you have to kind of relate to actually the people that are hiring you. This is one of those things. And uh, is it going to be something on your record that's going to be hard to come o- you know, get over? Man, maybe a little bit, but uh, it, it isn't. It's if you understand uh, what to tell the person in the interview. Make sure you know what to tell the person in the interview and say, hey, this is what happened. This is where I am. I'm over that. I no longer do that. And now I'm moving forward. Uh, if I'm hearing that and I'm listening to somebody in an interview, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. I don't know, Justin, have you ever, uh, I'm sure you have come across some people with some DUIs in their background and, uh, and have actually interviewed a few, I'm sure. Yeah, um, I have. I've seen a few over the years and it's, you know, like you said, it, it could be a little bit of a hurdle. However, on the positive side, it's not as much of a hurdle as it used to be. Uh, people understand there's more of an understanding and an education out there now regarding things like that. Like you said, you know, uh, or like it says in the question, you know, a poor decision. We all have made a poor decision in our life. Uh, so there's a little more understanding, I think, and a little more education out there with it. Uh, and then how you explain it. Absolutely. Um, I've found that five years is kind of the first threshold in my experience where it, it starts to affect you less. And then, um, at about 10 years is kind of another threshold, um, where the background check, you know, things like that. So, cause most background checks go back about 10 years and so you have some some gates, if you will, uh, to cross. But if you're just starting your private pilot's license, you're going to cross that five-year gate before you start getting into the airlines. And uh, just make sure that you have an explanation for it. Make sure that you're very truthful, forthcoming, and uh, you're making a, uh, you know, show them that you've made a concerted effort to make a big change and, and correct that. So, um I don't think you can't overcome it, but I do think you'll have to do some things along the line to help overcome it. Well, thanks for the question, and thanks for the advice, Justin. I think that's all the time we have for questions today, and uh, we would definitely be doing more of these in the future. Some people ask me, you know, where are we in the questions? We've actually, with this episode, we're actually finally through December 12, 2018. I know at one point we were getting like six months behind on that. We do a lot of interviews, and we've kind of put a little bit of a pause on some of the interviews just so we can catch up a little bit. With that said, uh, we still have quite a few more questions. Just keep them coming. We'll try to uh, keep up with those and, and 
and answer those questions. Obviously, some of these things, uh, and you've noticed that in our questions and uh, and relating them on here, we actually have to take a lot of personal information out of it. And if it's something really specific we have to go over, there's, of course, some of the coaching that we do. And you can sign up for that over at aviationcurespodcast.com. Well, I really appreciate everybody listening. We appreciate all the co-hosts and everybody that helps us with the answering these questions. And uh, if you want to be on the show, you know somebody that you think would be a good guest on the show, send them a link to this podcast. And there's a link at the bottom of each show that says, hey, how to be a guest on uh, Aviation Careers Podcast. You have a story you want to tell us, email it to us, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. And also send us an MP3 file, a story, whatever it is, to that what that address that email address well folks i really appreciate uh, your listening and like so many other people on this podcast have said and and also the people that have written into us do something now do something today to move forward in your career and we'll talk to you next episode safe flying you have been listening to aviation careers podcast an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.